Revelation 6 revealed the judgments that were about to be unleashed as we read about the seals upon the scroll being opened. The first four seals revealing war and famine and death. And the souls of the slain are revealed in the fifth seal crying out from under the altar how long until God will bring justice and righteousness. And they're told to wait just a little bit longer that more are going to die before judgment and justice is brought about. And then the final verses of chapter 6 of Revelation, verses 12 through 17, showed us that a nation is about to fall. And we haven't been told specifically who that nation is, though as we've gone through chapter 6, I believe there's a number of clues there. And we've spent more time in talking about those clues in the Wednesday night class. And I will uh, remind you and invite you again to that Wednesday night at 7 o'clock where we're going through much more detail of your questions and further explanations about the book of Revelation. But in verses 12 through 17, we have God's wrath revealed. We have a nation being described that it's going to fall. It's going to be lights out. The description there that the sun is going to be darkened, the moon being turned to blood, the stars are falling from the sky, the sky is rolled up like a scroll and vanishes, that we have the hills and the mountains are are being cried at by the people, that they will call upon those rocks and hills to fall on them and to hide them from the wrath of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Picture of ultimate judgment against a nation. In chapter 7, perhaps an unfortunate chapter break because it causes us to think that things have stopped in chapter 6, but you have the movement of those images And now we are going to move and point out there's a a pause that has to take place. There's something that must be done first before these judgments can be unleashed. And we'll read tonight the first eight verses of chapter 7 of the book of Revelation. And we'll look at what is being pictured for us. Revelation 7 verse 1. After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. All right. This is certainly a section that's led to all sorts of interesting interpretations and pictures and trying to determine 
Who are the 144,000? Why are they sealed? What does it mean for them to be sealed? These are the things that we will look at this evening of what is being pictured for us. First one is very important. We are now given the imagery of these four angels who are standing at the four corners of the earth and they are holding back the four winds. They are restraining the winds. And something that we observed in our study of chapter 6 and we'll remind ourselves here tonight, these winds are images of sweeping judgment that is going to come. It is connected strongly back with chapter 6. We saw the picture of war and faith famine and death. We saw sun being darkened, moon not giving its light, stars falling. We mentioned this is a picture of a nation that is about to fall. But that hasn't happened yet. And chapter 7 is showing us that all of those pictures in chapter 6 are being paused and that those winds of judgment, this sweeping judgment is being restrained for the moment. And so that's what verse 1 is is revealing to us, and you see the winds even described that way in verse 1, that no wind might blow on earth or sea against any tree. Back in chapter 6, remember those are the judgments that are described, is that the earth is going to receive this judgment upon sea and earth and tree. And so it is a picture of, but not quite yet. And the question, of course, is, well, why not? Why are these judgments being paused? Why are they being restrained? And we are told there in verse 3 that we must wait until the servants of God are sealed on their foreheads. Do not unleash these sweeping judgments quite yet. We need the servants of God to be sealed on their foreheads. And so that's the initial picture. And of course, the big question is, well, what does that mean? What is being told to us? Who are these people and what does this sealing mean? Let's talk first about what it means for them to be sealed. This is not new imagery to the Scriptures. Ezekiel chapter 9, we see probably the strongest parallel to this event previously. In Ezekiel 9, same imagery being described. A description of Jerusalem is about to be judged. We have executioners who are going to sweep through the city. In Ezekiel 9 and verse 1, bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. So you have the same uh, beginning and same suspense. Judgment's about to come. The executioners are here, weapons in hand. They're about to bring judgment. And then Ezekiel is told, but wait just a minute. And we're told in verse 4 of Ezekiel 9. And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others he said in my hearing, Pass through the city after him and strike. Your eyes shall not spare, and you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. And so began with the elders who were before their house. So that's the picture that's given in Ezekiel. And I want you just to see the parallel imagery is that there is a sweeping judgment to be brought upon Jerusalem and is a picture of destroying and striking all of the people except those who have the mark on the forehead. Well, who are the ones who receive the mark? 
It is the servants of God. They are the ones who are upset and wailing over the abominations that are taking place within Jerusalem. If you remember, as you go through the study of Ezekiel, maybe one day we'll get to do Ezekiel on a Sunday night. That'd be fun. 48 chapters of goodness right there. That's some great stuff. Maybe we'll get to do that. But one of the problems that you read about Ezekiel is in the very temple of God. There are abominations and where the place that the people were to be worshiping God, they're worshiping idols. And they've turned their back on the living God. And so here is a picture of where are the people who are angry about that? Where are the people who are wailing about that? Mark them and seal them. They are the true people of God. They are the true servants of God. Not the whole nation. No, the nations deserving of judgment. Seek out and mark the few who are upset at sin and who are the true people of God. And so that's what Ezekiel is picturing. And see the similarity to what is happening in Revelation. We come back to Revelation chapter 7. It's the same kind of imagery. We are sealing God's servants. And that's what we're specifically told in verse 3. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees. Do not bring the sweeping judgment yet. Not till we've sealed, till we've marked the true servants of God, the holy people of God. The mark must come upon them. Now, if you do any amount of study, you will recognize that the picture of sealing is really quite diverse in its meaning. It can have an all have all sorts of different meanings. It can refer to being protected. Uh, it refers to security. It refers to ownership. It refers to preservation. It is used in a number of different ways, from sealing a letter that shows the authenticity that the one who wrote it, the letter is sealed and the mark is on it, knowing it's directly from the king, to the idea of sealing the tomb when Jesus was in the tomb, to know that it is preserved and protected and it has not been tampered with. Sealing has all sorts of different connotations and pictures. And so we need to then dig in a little bit and wonder, well, what is it talking about when it says that these people are sealed? Is it suggesting that God's servants are going to be protected from physical harm or death? Is that the intention of this sealing? And I hope that as we've gone through Revelation, you will recognize that that cannot be possible. Revelation 6 verse 11, the fifth seal told us what? Just a little longer until the full number of God's servants and your brothers are killed. It can't be saying, okay, all the servants of God, they will be physically protected from the events that are about to happen. That they will not experience these sweeping judgments. That they will not be persecuted, suffer, or die. And in our Sunday morning study, Revelation 2 and 3 has revealed the same thing, right? We've seen the picture of the hour of trial. We've seen the picture of the great tribulation. We've seen the picture and the call to them to be faithful unto death. That they would suffer harm, but they would not suffer the second death. We see in the seven churches of Asia the warning that they're going to suffer physically. So these are pictures that tell us, well, we can't be talking about that. We can't have the promise here after being told just a couple of verses earlier that more have to die who are the people of God that now He's promising none of them are going to die. However, turn just a page over to chapter 9 and verse 4 and you will notice that the ceiling is for protection. Look at chapter 9 verse 4. And they were told... 
not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so here is a picture of devastation happening against the people who are not sealed. And so clearly we have an imagery of protection. They will avoid what is being described in chapter 9. However, we've been told that more are going to die. And so our necessary conclusion is that we are talking about spiritual protection. Uh, A point that I think we try, at least I tried to highlight this very morning. Even though they're going to suffer and die physically, they're spiritually safe. Even though they're going to go through great pains that more of the servants of God are going to die, that does not mean that they are excluded from God's kingdom. That does not mean that they are not the true Israel. That does not mean that they're not the people of God. They are the people of God and they will be shown as victorious. And if I can give you a... Just a small preview of next week's lesson, what we will see after this, verses 9 through the end of chapter 7, what do we see but this great multitude pictured in victory? We are seeing the fulfillment of what is being promised here. Here is the promise. You will be spiritually protected. And what's the very next scene that we'll get to see? All of them in heaven. All of them being blessed. All of them victorious, wearing their white robes. And so that is the, the direction that is we are being taken. It's not to say, well, Christians, they're not going to suffer any harm. Rather, as promised in chapter 6, they are going to suffer harm, but it's going to be okay because they're marked by God. They have the seal on their foreheads and they are going to be safe in the area that matters most, spiritually with God. And so that's what those first three verses are laying out for us in this picturing of the sealing of God's servants. Now there's one more aspect that we need to put our finger on about this sealing because that's not all of it. That's the great majority and that's the key point that Revelation 7 is driving at. However, the other aspect of this sealing is to identify who are truly God's. And the reason why that's important to observe here is that there is going to be a question about who are gods and who are not gods. And so we are going to observe some authentication and some ownership that these are truly the people of God. When we get to chapter 13 in the year 2013, and I just kid, we'll get there soon, but when we get to chapter 13... We are going to see something really interesting. We are going to read about people who are marked with the number and the seal of the beast. And that's the one that everybody really jumps out the window about, about, well, what does that mean? You know, they're going to implant chips into our neck, and when that happens, that's the problem, or it's a social security number. I'm not making that stuff up. You want to go read that? That's, that's what we're told. We're already going to observe a contrast. The ones who are marked with the seal of the beast, they belong to the world. They belong to Satan. They belong to evil. But those who are marked by God belong to God. Revelation is going to draw a line in the sand and say, who are the true people of God? Because they're sealed and marked by God. They are owned and they are shown to be authentic. Versus those who are marked with the beast, this symbolic language of they're owned by the world. 
they are owned by sin and their life shows that they are authentic to wickedness and to what is wrong. And so what we have to see that here is that it's not just simply sealing for spiritual protection, but also a sealing to show these are my true people. These are the people of God. They are victorious and they will be shown to have overcome by the time we get to about chapter 14. We'll see them appear again and they're shown victorious with the Lamb. And so right now is the warm-up to that. They're going to be ready. They're going to be marked. They're prepared because they are the true people of God. Okay? Verses 4 through 8 now. The infamous number. There's probably two favorite numbers in Revelation that everybody gets gets around on. 666 and 144,000. Those are the two big numbers, right? Well, let's let's knock out the 144,000 tonight and soon enough we'll get to the 666. 144,000 here. Notice the in verse 4, I heard the number of the sealed. 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then he goes through and what he shows is 12,000 from 12 tribes. That's Difficult math for me, but when I break out my calculator, I do get 12 times 12,000 gets me to 144,000. And that's what he's doing is breaking this down for us. It's saying, all right, it's 12,000 from each tribe. That's the important number because 12,000 is used in Revelation to symbolize full and complete, extreme completeness, if you will. It is the fullness that is being brought in. When we get to Revelation 21, and I have no idea when we'll get to that far, but Revelation 21 and verse 16, you will notice the dimensions of New Jerusalem and the measurements of the walls are 12,000 stadia in width, length, height. 12,000 by 12,000 by 12,000. What's it trying to say? It's complete It's whole, it's full, it's everybody that's supposed to be in there. It's describing the perfect and whole and complete people of God. And so that's what 12,000 has to resemble for us, is that when we read 12,000, we should not start counting literal numbers. And one of the things that we've observed from our very beginning of our study, remember Revelation 1, verse 1, we're told that the book of Revelation was put into symbols by the angel. And so when we read these numbers, we are looking for the symbolic significance. Not that it is just simply figurative and doesn't mean anything, but it has a symbolic representation. The 12,000 stands for something. It's not that there are only going to be 12,000 people, but that they resemble the completeness of each tribe. So, that's the picture that the complete number from each tribe are sealed. Now, what easily happens is as we get to verses 4-8 through and we quickly forget verse 3. Who is being sealed? Don't forget this. Remember, who who did He just tell us are the people that are being sealed? The people of God. The servants of God. We cannot forget what verse 3 told us. It's about to count the numbers, but that doesn't change who we are counting. We are counting the servants of God to be sealed. Verse 3 is very important. So why do the 12,000 and 12,000 and 12,000? Because every single person who is a servant of God is going to be sealed. There is nobody that's going to be left out. It is a complete and full sealing that is occurring. And there is not a single soul that is on God's side who is somehow going to be left out when all of this happens. Not at all. 
Everybody is included. Now, observe one other thing with me. When you look at verses 5-8, through carefully note that it does not say the whole tribe is sealed. Notice that it is 12,000 from each tribe that is sealed. This is going to be important to understanding what we're doing with this picture. Very important to observe that it is the complete number of the people of God, the servants of God, that are being identified out of the whole of the tribe. Out of the tribe of Judah, there is the select, true, chosen servants of God. All of them are sealed. And from the tribe of Issachar, there are those who are the true servants of God. All of them are sealed. Not the whole tribe, but all the servants of God who are within each tribe. From each tribe, each group is sealed. You'll see why that's important in just a moment. Is this text, because it is describing 12 tribes, referring then to Jewish Christians? And I think that's one of the important questions we need to ask. Verse 3 tells us, these are the servants of God. These are the ones who are being sealed. And so our question has to be, why is he counting tribes? Why would you say... 12,000 from each of these 12 tribes. Why would you do that? What are you symbolizing by that? What are you trying to communicate by picturing these 12 tribes? And I would observe a couple of reasons why I do not think we can understand this to be the number of just Jewish Christians. One, Revelation never makes a distinction between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Nowhere do we go through the book and have some sort of hierarchy of, well, the Jewish Christians, they're over here and they receive this reward or they're doing these things. And over here on this side, we read of the Gentile Christians and they're doing this or receiving that. It's never shown that way in Revelation. All you ever read is just like what we read in verse 3. The whole of the servants of God. No distinction. Here is a picture of all of God's servants. And the reason why that's important is because the consequences are quite grave if we take these to be only Jewish Christians. For example, if it is only Jewish Christians that are sealed, then by necessity the Gentile Christians are not. And we've already mentioned what that means. What does it mean to be sealed in this text? Spiritual protection. You're shown to be God's people. Now, we can't say that the Gentile Christians are not the authentic people of God. We can't say that they're not true Christians, that they're not God's true servants. And with the result of seeing the 144,000 as only Jewish Christians would mean that only Jewish Christians are the true servants of God. That's a big problem. And that distinction is not ever made in the book of Revelation. And then we will get to Revelation 14, as I've already mentioned a minute ago, where we're going to see the 144,000 standing in victory. And I believe, I'll give you another preview, I believe we have the same group in just a moment, this great multitude. And I'll explain why next Sunday and try to prove that to you is why the great multitude is the 144,000. We see them wearing robes and they've been washing the blood of the Lamb. Only Jewish Christians are going to have victory? No. No, that can't be right. And I would argue that such a distinction flies in the face of all the work that the Apostle Paul spent his life trying to tear down. 
that there is any kind of distinction between Jewish Christian and Gentile Christian. Almost every letter he writes is to show there is no distinction anymore. The barrier has been torn down. That the two groups have been reconciled into one body, not two. And so it causes immense difficulties and causes problems against the Scriptures to say that these are only Jewish Christians. So why the twelve tribes? Why why the twelve tribes? First of all, we need to take it as a symbol. And I think for a number of reasons. And this will help us in understanding this group. Why should we see these tribes in a symbolic sense? Well, I think for a number of reasons. First of all, did you notice that a tribe is missing from the list? Did you catch that? Where's the tribe of Dan? Suddenly, they didn't get counted. What happened to them? Where did they go? We don't have the tribe of Dan in our listing of 12. If you will also carefully read, you will notice there's a tribe listed that's actually not a tribe at all. The tribe of Joseph is never called the tribe of Joseph. Remember, it's his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Those are the two tribes that are counted, not Joseph. We don't have the listing of the 12 tribes of Israel and you learn Joseph. No, you learned Manasseh and Ephraim. I believe George Ladd in his commentary states it, states it just right. I can't say it any better where he says, John intends to say, speaking of this irregular list, that the 12 tribes of Israel are not really literal Israel, but the true spiritual Israel, the church. And I think that makes a lot of sense because everybody in every book I've picked up has tried to explain, well, why isn't the tribe of Dan in the listing? And there's not a real good reason. And why would you put in the tribe of Joseph? Because that's not a usual name whatsoever. Why do that? Except to make the point that you're supposed to take this symbolically and not literally. Because nobody could walk around and say, well, I'm from the tribe of Joseph and I'm one of the 12,000. Look at you, the tribe of Joseph. Uh, and then the poor tribe of Dan, what happened to those poor people? <laughs> they don't get any part of this whatsoever. So I think that's our first observation is the list is highly irregular. And that should cause us to see this as a symbolic, not a literal 12 tribes. The second big reason to keep in mind why this cannot refer to actual tribes is because all of these people, these 12,000 are coming from each of these tribes. The great problem is, remember back in 722 B.C., we lost 10 of those tribes. In 722 B.C., Assyria rises up, destroys Samaria, destroys the northern nation. And if you remember, one of the names of Hosea's kids was called Scattered. And that was the end of the ten. They were done. There was no more ten tribes. Those Israelites would not be able to trace themselves back to any of those northern tribes. Assyria's operation was not like what Babylon did to Judah, where Judah took you as a pocket, picked you up, and dropped you in another land. Assyria just threw you all over their empire. And they were scattered. And that's what Hosea was prophesying would happen to them for their rebellion. So you have a problem to say, well, we're going to count from the 12 tribes. Uh, Ten of them didn't exist after 722. That's why after that point you have the name called the Jews. It's shortened of Judah. That's what's left is Judah. But what happens to Judah and the Jews? Guess what? 
The rest of them lost their tribal identity in 70 AD. As Rome comes in and smashes the rest of them and puts down the rebellion in 70 AD, the temple's burned, the documents are burned, and even today, Jews cannot honestly trace themselves to any particular tribe. I think that was God's intention. I think that forces us to see that when He starts listing these things off, He's not talking about actual tribes. He's telling us these are symbolic. This is picturing the whole of Israel. And so let's break that down to the 144,000. What is He talking about? I submit to you that the picture here is the same that the Apostle Paul taught in a number of places in the book of Romans. Let me show you a few of those places. Like Romans chapter 9, verse 6, where Paul said, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all the children of Abraham... And not all are the children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. One of the key teachings that Romans gives to us is that not all who claim to be physical descendants of Israel are actually Israel. There's this distinction being drawn that there are the true people of God inside this pocket of people who think they're the people of God. And you notice that's a similar idea of what 12,000 from each tribe is driving at. It's not the whole of the nation of Israel. It's not the whole of humanity. It is the complete, true holy servants of God. They're the ones that are selected. Paul will use another word to describe that, and I'll show you that in Romans 11 and verse 5. He used the word remnant. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. Romans 9.27 And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, Only a remnant of them will be saved, for the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. I submit to you what the 144,000 image is trying to show and why the detail of 12,000 and 12,000 and 12,000 is to say, these are the remnant and not one of God's servants is left out of the counting. This is the true people of God. In fact, I would term it as Paul would, these are the true Israel. This is the Israel of God. This is who God has selected as His remnant because they are faithful to Him. They are the servants of God and therefore they are sealed. It is not about physical Israel. It's not about being a Jew. It's not about any kind of ethnic lineage whatsoever. It is trying to observe to us that the true people of God, they are the ones who are being spared of the judgment to come. I could do a whole aside of, well, isn't it interesting that he uses a concept of Israel in the midst of this text, but I've tipped my hand a few times about who I think the object of God's wrath is, and I think here's yet another picture that shows us perhaps a picture of Jerusalem in the wake here, because yet again, here is the true people of God being separated from the nation that needs to be destroyed, and just as Ezekiel did. Remember what Ezekiel 9 said? Go through and destroy the nation, but wait... 
seal the ones who are angry and upset about the abominations that are happening. Notice the parallel. We have this massive judgment, sweeping judgment in chapter 6, but wait, before that can happen, let's identify who are the true people of God. And the twist to the story is the very twist that Paul was teaching over and over again. The twist to the story is the Jews are not the true people of God. It is those who are obedient to Christ. They're the remnant. They're the true Israel. They're the ones that are called out. And they're the ones that are being sealed. I want to leave you then with two conclusions tonight. Wow, the time went fast. Goodness gracious. I'm having too much fun. Uh, Two conclusions that I want to to make. Say time flies when you're having fun. I must be having a good time. Uh, Conclusion. Two points that we have to make here before we go. One, in seeing this imagery of the remnant, the first thing that really has to strike us is then we are in this great privileged position by grace just as Romans chapter 11 and verse 5 describes. Is Here is the true Israel. Here are the true people of God. And we're there not because we earn that or deserve that or because we don't deserve judgment. That's certainly not the picture of Revelation. Revelation is not saying, now here's these perfect souls who've never done anything wrong and so they get to be sealed. Not in the slightest. These are the ones who have given their lives to Jesus. And that's what the rest of chapter 7 is going to show us. These are the ones who've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. These are the ones who've been faithful to the Lord. These are the ones who are seeking Jesus and calling Him Lord. These are the ones who are the true remnant. And we are in that position because of God's goodness and graciousness. Not because there is anything inherent within us that demands that God should save us, but that God is merciful, that God is loving and gracious and said that He will seal those for spiritual preservation, those who will seek after Him. And that's why I love Romans 11.5. So too at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. The second point I would want to make is that this picture of the 144,000 shows that anybody can be part of the remnant. Anybody can be part of the new Israel, the true and holy people of God. This is not a stagnant number. This is not a number that says, you know what, only 144,000 are going to heaven and if you're not one of them, loser to you, you're stuck here on earth and everybody else, the 144,000, they get the good stuff and you kind of get the leftovers stuck on earth. That's a teaching that is used of the 144,000. That's not the message. The message that John is showing us in this vision is that anybody who is the true people of God, they get to receive the blessing. That's why the 12,000, a symbol of completeness, every single servant of God is sealed and protected and owned by Christ. And they will receive blessing. And that's what John is trying to visualize in these numbers is that this is the remnant. These are the true people of God. This is the Israel that God had prophesied from the very beginning, as the Apostle Paul even himself quotes Old Testament passages to show, that God has always planned for there to be a remnant. God has always planned that there would be a select group of those who would follow Him. It would not be the whole nation. It would not be the whole earth. It would be those who chose to follow Jesus with all of their heart. Or in words that Paul used in Romans 2.29, Those who are truly Israel, a Jew, is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit and not by the letter, His praise is not from man, 
but from God. Those who are truly Israel, those who are the true Jew, the true people of God, it's not about ethnicity. It's not being some select number that somebody gets to pick. It's about your choice to follow Jesus with all of your heart. You make that choice. You make that commitment. You decide to serve Him fully. And your praise is about God and not about everybody else, but serving God and following Him with all of your heart. You are also in that number. You are part of the saved. You are part of the chosen. You are the one who is also receiving the blessings of forgiveness of sins and the avoidance of the wrath to come that all of us deserve because of our sins. But God has been gracious through the death of His Son to offer forgiveness and atonement for those who will come, believe in His name, repent of their sins, confess Jesus as the Lord, and be immersed in water to have their sins washed away. And that invitation is to you. Won't you decide to do the same? Won't you come forward while we stand and while we sing?